when there is no more room in hell, the dead will walk the earth. <laughs> Welcome back to the Gallows End to episode 11 of the Level 90 Undead Rogue Podcast. I am Ian Bergen and this week we're returning to our regular format after last week's epic fail experiment. This week we're talking 5.2 levels from coming soon to soon to the end of February. Chinese WoW players caused a 400,000 subscription drop. 5.2 PvP gear and the changes. More cross realm raids. 5.2 and blood spirits for valor points will this hit the economic landscape in game and joining me this week is our own resident gangster himself tobias hi and welcome our first question was we talk about the changes to the um release of patch 5.2 it looks like they aiming for the end of february but um now we can pretty much say it's there is no chance left for a february release for patch 5.2 the two-week warning um day has a two-week warning for arena for the arena season has already passed they would have to would have to have released it on the 12th and now we have the 15th so Definitely the earliest possible date is the 5th of March. I think we've definitely experienced this before where patches have been rushed out. And just to give a little background out to people who are listening who maybe have been living under a rock and aren't aware of uh, the date changes. I think it was uh, last week everyone's favorite party crasher, uh, Michael Whipple, otherwise better known as Bashiok, community manager for World of Warcraft, had released a blog on the official Blizzard site where he had actually stated that they were targeting an end of February launch for patch 5.0. We would usually know that there's maybe a week or two's notice before sort of the final two weeks or X number of weeks of a given arena season, which is usually the indication of there is a patch inbound and a season change inbound. But we haven't actually had that yet, so given that we're two weeks away from the end of the month, it's highly unlikely they're going to make the announcement on Monday to go, yes, the arena season is ending in two weeks, and that's kind of the notice period, and then to kick it off at the end of that. So I think you're definitely right there that the earliest being the 5th of March is probably uh, more than likely, and to be honest, that's probably closer to the date that I would have suspected myself. Yeah, you've been right. Last time I suspected they would release it a bit earlier, but uh, it turns out you're right. No chance to get it done early this time. Ah, music to my ears when someone says I'm right. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I mean, I think this week we've already started to see evidence of uh, the pre-patch downloads coming in with the background downloader starting to take in the, uh, I think it's the first gig of data for that patch. Yeah. Caught an awful lot of people off guard. They actually weren't expecting that, especially since some of the LF4 raids were actually still being tested up to last week. So it looks like Blizzard was sort of getting in the core data that's probably already been agreed that if there's changes... There are going to be minor revisions. I think actually they um, they have this rate schedule, testing schedule somewhere. I think it's going till the end of February actually, where they still have testing for certain bosses' schedules. But actually, 
Do you still remember the time when there were patches coming and you didn't know what would happen? I remember those days. I think it was yeah. actually great. So you logged in and you had no idea. And today we have all this information so we know how to plan forward and this rate will come and it will look like this and the artist like this. So there is no surprise left. And I actually enjoyed the time a lot when I set foot into a new rate and I had no idea what was around the next corner what something would look like, how the artists and stuff like that. I think this whole data mining stuff um, took, while it's a good service, it took a lot of the excitement away. In a lot of respects, I completely agree with you with that. I mean, I come for a hark from the days of before there was tank spots to help you find your way through raid bosses and there was strategy guides and people doing strategy videos on YouTube or kill videos on YouTube. The days when, you know, you would rock up into a new raid zone and you'd go in there and you'd literally spend the first couple of hours doing nothing more than actually trying to work through even the first phase on a boss or the first first maybe two phases on a boss as well as the trash, trying to figure out how to actually work your way through those. Never mind getting a kill or aiming for a kill on the first night. I mean, if you got a kill on the first night at that stage, you were totally gold. Our raid actually did this back in Ulduar, so we knew this really great raid would come out, and we all decided to not spoiler ourselves. And so we went in for the first time, and no one had any idea what was coming. I so didn't have that luxury in Ulduar. That was so great, one of the best raiding experiences. And then we weren't as fast as we could have been, so after Mimiron, we kind of uh, got spoiled on the way because other guilds were fast at that time and so. But it was still it definitely was worth the experience. It's so much fun to not be spoiled when you raid. I think we're past that days in, in World of Warcraft. With, and I, I, I say that with actually some sadness. That we're kind of past that because we're kind of in the environment of we've moved away from world of warcraft being an exploratory experience to being mm -hmm. a uh, and i think we, we talked about this on the last episode this sort of uh, instant gratification at the fairground experience you know the quick win feel good experience your characters you still remember what a tamagotchi is i actually found one of my old tamagotchis the other day <laughs> I actually found one back then too and I had no idea what it was so it, uh, I found one lying around and then I yeah but let's not explore into that story anyways I throw my Tamagotchi away uh, <coughs> but still the point is um, now you have to manage your character you have to do this and that regularly to keep him up to date and stuff like that so you have to get your whaler points and you have to do your dailies and stuff like that so you manage and if you don't manage your character, you're hurting in some way. And back then it was kind of different. If you look back at classic or stuff like that, you, you progressed more, but you didn't have these kind of tasks you have now. I think the tasks that you had back then, actually, you just when you sort of bring that up, it, it sort of brings me just before I jump into the whole thing of tasks is, one of my favorite phrases I love seeing on World of Warcraft discussion forums, regardless of which site they're on, is... My favorite phrase of all, my World of Warcraft career, especially on guild applications. I mm. love seeing that. That totally cracks me up because we've gone from a stage of where World of Warcraft was... when you, If you raided back in uh, TBC and if you're any way good at raiding, pugs were very, very, very seldom seen. 
uh, well, not until sort of the later stages, sort of pre Wrath of the Lich King. But you would, if you were raiding, no one thought it was it was serious business back then. But when you start seeing sort of in Wrath of the Lich King, and you look at uh, especially in the number of guilds I was in, you see the or guilds that I've managed or run or where my guild has merged with another guild, and you see guild applications and people put in my World of Warcraft career so far blah 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 i can't help but laugh when i see that it's like if there was a way for me to actually not take you any less serious than i already was going to you've just managed to achieve that well done you you've leveled up in the i am probably not going to have to give you my bids to jump in this guild if you look back if you play since classic you you have an incredible amount of time spent on the characters you play if you actually play one character from classic till now um like i did um I don't know. It's it's scary. I would avoid to look on the actual playtime for that character because it would pretty much scare me a lot. Talk about tasks and you talk about time invested. I mean, you come from the same sort of time playing era that I do in this game. Do you remember back in the days when you raided, the only tasks you had to worry about were if you were a part of the raiding team, you were actually, if you were an alchemist, you were probably assigned to make flasks for the raiding group. Yeah. Or if you were a cook that had a high enough and you actually managed to have those recipes, you know, not recipes that turned up from, you would go to vendor A and you pick this up. Like, there used to be recipes that were spread out throughout the world. And you actually had to farm on different sides of the world as well for the materials to actually go and make things. You know, that you, you're the only task you had to worry about. Did I have all the buff food ready for the raid? Did I actually have all the flasks ready, ready for the raid? Or if you're one of those people who actually had to make bandages for the raid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember. I remember actually being summoned as on my mage at the time. At one point, I think was um, with part of Sunwell. When we were doing the early parts of that, that uh, I was actually only going to the aisle to provide tables for people to take food, and then I was going to go back elsewhere. Literally, only for that reason. In fact, that, uh, when you're talking about tasks, I mean, they were literally your only tasks back then. As a mage, for example, your task would be to go and get as many light feathers as you could so you could do your slow fall. When you're talking about old days, you're kind of then wondering, you know, player return. It's always a thing of like old faces that you see returning. And when mm. we're talking about returns, Blizzard last week decided to take a hatchet to the prices for the original packs, like the war chest or the battle chest, as they call it, where they actually dropped the price of it. I think they did the battle chest, which contains like the first three, the vanilla TBC, Wrath of the Lich King, and they're doing that for five euros, Cataclysm for eight euros, and picking up Mop for 18 euros. I think it's actually good. I think they, they shouldn't even split it up. I think you should just go from classic to Cataclysm for something like five euros or something. It's MOP could still cost something, but I think it's... Yeah, it's not the box sales that keep the game kind of life, and so it's stupid for people to have to buy this expansion, that expansion, because it, uh, these expansions are maybe ten hours of leveling now, and you you don't really see a lot of this, so you don't have to kill Illidan to progress from um, Burning Crusade or something. You will pretty much never even see him. You will go once you reach level sixty-eight. You will go to to Northrend, and so the whole part of the add-on lost its feel. I always thought they, they... I remember when I leveled my monk and I had to do Cataclysm again. So I was at like level 
81 or something back then and it was annoying with no ending because uh, it just felt so useless to do it so like disconnected i really liked the leveling from level 1 to 60 mm -hmm. it's pretty good it's pretty involved but once you reach the expansion areas it's kind of disconnected from everything else you know what i mean completely i mean i always think that and i think one of my big problems i i see facing new players coming into the game i always thought that as they progress with expansions, you're putting this sort of huge barrier of cost in front of people. I always thought it was a bit strange to throw to make people throw down like maybe 80, 90 euros before they could actually get into the game and start playing it. Time they also get their uh, past their 30 day free trial or whatever, or their first 30 days paid for and paying for all the expansions to work through it. But especially with Mr. Pandari, you know, putting 90 levels, even when you say it like that, 90 levels in front of people to actually have to move through in-game. You're not going to attract players who have already played other MMOs to World of Warcraft, because odds are they started in World of Warcraft, they may or may not have picked up MOP, you know, when it dropped out, so you're not. when you're talking about these packs, you're talking about brand new players to World of Warcraft, where they may be playing this as their first sort of MMO RPG or sort of uh, amusement park style massively multiplayer online game like so it, it, i always think it, it's a bit strange that it, it puts people to this position i mean then you've got sort of the scroll of resurrection which i always say is like a super contentious issue where you boost a player from like one to 80 and like bam like the blink of an eye like there's your instant 80 there's your gear have at us and then brand new players you bring into the game and you're like okay there's 90 levels take your time it's, I think it's actually good. I think they should boost it actually to level 85 now. Mm. Because playing Cataclysm doesn't make too much sense now. The stories Feeling... are fairly irrelevant, actually. Yeah. And so I would just give them level 85 and skip it. Yeah, I found that disconnect, actually, because recently I've taken to leveling an undead character as well as a Tauren character. But the undead, more specifically, I found the, the starting zone and that storyline is very, very disconnected now in the wake of sort of that now we're in the midst of Pandaria and it's referencing an awful lot of Lich King stuff and it's like, well, we're past yeah. that. Arthas is dead. He And uh, we have Balvar sitting encased in ice in Icecrown Citadel. Yeah. Keeping all the scourge at bay, and like here we are. You've got if some of the Valkyr in the employ of Sylvanas. Yeah, yeah. Isn't actually it's like um, if you level now, you're starting at a point, and then you go kind of back in time. If you go to Burning Crusade and Wrath of the Lich King, so means um, mm -hmm. if you look at the timeline, the current level one is further down the timeline than Wrath of the Lich King is, for example. So completely. So you you play a level up, and at level one, the Lich King is dead, and the Valkyries are there, and then you go to Wrath of the Lich King, and everyone tells you, oh my god, the Lich King is here. You have to kill the Lich King after you kind of... He was dead 60 levels ago, and now, yeah. I mean, Northrend is still great. I mean, just the beginning, when you, when you sail on Tidot Isle, it's like a really, really good introduction, and all these soldiers are gathering, and you're making you move and it feels really strong it's a very very nice introduction and i i think rough of the lich king was one of the best leveling experiences i ever had um but still 
I think at this point it's disconnected. If if they really want to force players to keep leveling through these zones, they should update the story somehow. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, there's a this is a, one of those sort of questions that that always invariably comes up, and you know, you, you can almost predict the blue post that accompanies this. Would you rather we spent time updating old content, in which case you guys accuse us of rehashing content, or do you want us to ignore old content and create you super new content? In which case, then we give you a, a different reason to bitch and moan at us because you don't like mm. this content because you feel it's been rushed. And the example of this is uh, Dragon Soul, I think is always this great example of they're damned that they did it and they're damned that they didn't do other things relating to it. Yeah. I mean, actually, this company is big enough, you, so you think they would have time to do both. Um You'd I mean, it's that. kind of. Uh, <laughs> the, I mean, they're a multi-billion-dollar company. It's not like um, they're really hurting if they build up a larger team over the years to to yeah continue doing that to continue to keep the world consistent. Because actually, I remember a quote from Mike Morhan, um that the majority of the players hasn't reached max level. Actually, yeah, he actually said this at one of the earnings calls, I believe, in 2010. And I think it's one of the Q1 or Q2 earnings calls he actually said this. And so, actually, it would be pretty good to, from a pure business perspective, to, to make leveling content better, more interesting. Because right now, it feels like... Um, even if you just join a guild, you you start at the zone and the quest are orange, and then at like two thirds of the zone, the quest the quests turn gray. So it's kind of the zone doesn't ramp up; it gets actually easier and easier and easier because you out level it too fast. So the leveling pace it's okay if you level an alt, but let's be honest. Um, I don't really like the way you level alts. I think if you want to do it for a story perspective, it's okay. But this whole long grind or stuff isn't really that exciting. So, I don't know. I completely get where you're coming from with that. I mean, I, here's, here's the way I look at this. If you were a player of World of Warcraft and you've played since either... You're one of those people who came on late in vanilla... Or, lit, or late in the Burning Crusade. At that stage, you were playing through storylines as they were current. Everything as you were playing had a feeling of connectedness, like uh, from level one to say level seventy. There was a le- there was a level of connect. You moved into Wrath of the Lich King. Wrath of the Lich King gave you a great starting point of, okay, you remember this dude, the Lich King. You know the Scourge, who you've spotted all over the World of Warcraft as you've been traveling along. The Scourge have been ever present in one form or another especially if you're aware of the Forsaken or the Undead. Here's the storyline around him, and this is what we're dealing with. We're now entering up into Northrend, where he's been hauled away, and the story continues to flow there. Yeah. And then you've got the Cataclysm, you know, the reshaping of the world, a, a, a calamitous event that actually happens, or a tragic event, depending on which way you want to look at it, um, or an unfortunate event, as some people have, have deemed it. Whatever. Um that happens to the World of Warcraft, and that changes the stories. And then you get into, uh, like, for example, you've got 
in 5.2 coming soon for Mr. Pandaria, we're going to see the changes to Stormwind where it's actually been repaired. Like the 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 uh, the uh, stone cutters and stone masons yeah. and Stormwind will have repairs. And you know what? You're going to see Orgrimmar being completed as well. You look at Orgrimmar and you are like, wow, so that's what Orgrimmar is going to look like. And then when Stormwind's repaired, it's like, hey, isn't this how it looked in the first place before that? Aren't they just like rolling it back? There's nothing really <laughs> new here. But in saying that, the, it, there is the complete disconnect. And I think my example of something which actually just shows the utter disconnect of where the game is currently compared to where it was and when you put new players through that experience is, for example, you take a brand new player and they get taken in by the whole, wow, I get to play a panda. And they start in the Pandaran starting zone, which is the Wandering Isle, which I think yeah. everyone can agree is possibly the single most beautifully crafted zone in terms of how it looks and feels in the entire game. There is no, I don't think in my mind there's a question about how beautifully that is done from an art perspective, especially the early phase where you come in and you actually look down over the whole valley that you have to travel down through for yeah. the. Uh, the second part of the experience, once you get part get out of the initiate uh, section where you're doing the training in the temple, like learning to hit the uh, hit the training dummies, and then you get your first weapon, and and then you start like burning the scroll, and you you kill some stuff, and you go down into the valley where you start dealing with the cranes, where you're doing crane kicks like Daniel the Karate Kid. But you come mm -hmm. out of you come out of the Wandering Isle, and then you turn up and say Stormwind or Orgrimmar, and you venture out into say, Duratar from Orgrimmar, or you venture out into Elwyn Forest, and the first thing that hits you is, Jesus, this is fucking ugly. The Wandering Isle was beautiful, and this is just fucking ugly. Definitely. I think that just totally gets the disconnect, and the instant disconnect, especially because we're in a game where there's no connectivity with story from people starting from the beginning, unless they start in something like the Mists of Pandaria, or they start with a goblin, or they start with a... Uh, even the goblin story is is kind of nearly redundant when you think about the fact that they get they lose Kazan and then they turn up where they turn up um, off the coast of Kalimdor uh, for the goblin starting zone there. Even when you think about that, like in Gilneas, at least Gilneas has some kind of a story which isn't as reliant on the cataclysm, but there is that section, I suppose, where you suddenly get the, the ability to be able to turn into a werewolf. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden the cataclysm has happened. It's like, oh, the place is filled with water. There's dead bodies that need to be rescued. What the fuck? But the starting quests are actually, starting zones are incredible. And I think Gilneas is made really fun. And I enjoyed the goblin really a lot. With this driving around with the car. And it's really funny, this goblin starting area. It's good, but it... Even even the quest zones are good. It's just the pacing that that kind of destroys it. Um, you you the zones are generally really made well, except maybe Wrath of the Lich King, Cataclysm, and stuff like that. That feels disconnected. The first sixty levels are even if the graphics aren't that good. It's it's story wise and stuff. It's really good. It's good, and people should play it. But I don't think you should still force people to go to Outland, to go to Northrend. I think you could sum these up into maybe five scenarios. 
where you pretty much sum up the stories of the continents. And for people that actually like the story and want to go more into detail, I can do it. But completely agree. I mean, that's a, that is a fantastic example of a solution. I think which would allow. I think allowing people to experience uh, these the story of that, so they actually make sense and it gives us some sort of relevance and context. Like I would love to see a scenario that encompass encompasses some of the drama of, for example, the, you know the zombie invasion event that happened. Before yeah, exactly. Game? I would love people to experience that just even for like a short period of time. The frustration and the uh, absolute hilarity of that, of becoming a member of the Scourge and going around and then infecting other people. Like that was yeah. so funny. Or just imagine if, if they would do a scenario where you where you storm the Black Temple. Exactly. <clears throat> but um, you just have the people around you. So maybe you have just some allies and it's really easy to do. Like actually it's now, but you still... You don't have level 60 enemies or level 70 enemies. You still have normal stuff, but it's just like more in a story kind of way. So you don't have to fight through a lot of trash mods. So it's more story oriented. So you still get this dialogues and then you, you go on to the next phase. But it's just faster paced and yeah, I mean, one hour maybe for, for an add on to, to get up with the story or something like that. You know what the solution to that is? Start sending some tweets towards at Ghostcrawler on the Twitters. Oh, God, he gets so many tweets. I know. He didn't even respond to my one asking if Khan was going to be like a a name, Khan or Khan name. I was like, wow. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, moving on from that. Uh, it turns out that when they were talking it last week, we were talking about the uh, drop in figures from 10.1 to 9.6 following on from last week's earnings call uh, for the last quarter, Q4. That the Some of the details coming out from that is that the drop in figures of 400,000 or 500,000 may have been solely from the Chinese market as the Western market, in other words, like ourselves and the US, has remained stable. Is this a surprise, given how Asian-orientated this expansion is? I don't know. Um, I think in China, it's still a lot of money to to actually play WoW. I don't have exact figures. They pay something like, I think, one euro or something per month. It's way less than here, but it's still a lot of money. And also, WoW is pretty taxing on the computer. It has low settings, but still, um, in China, computers aren't really replaced every two years like here. So many people may have trouble have playing the game with enough FPS or stuff like that. Or I know maybe this, um, in the Chinese market, they also have an hourly rate system for how people play. And especially in uh, Korea, yeah. for example, it's it's done on an hourly rate. And the reason being is a lot of people who want to play World of Warcraft, the only way they can actually play the game is actually in internet or cyber cafes, where, of course, you pay for an hourly rate of access. So accounts generally are tied to, like, you pay per hour. Yeah. Literally, there's a really weird model in terms of, like, how we would actually see that would work for us here. And, if you know, totally, if we had to do that in Europe, like, a World of Warcraft account would cost a couple of hundred a month. Yeah, probably. <laughs> Just frightening. Yeah, it's true. I mean, internet cafes are pretty much expensive, but you don't have that too much in Europe, I think. 
it's pretty hard to actually find an internet cafe where you can play World of Warcraft. Yeah, I think those days of uh, going to your internet cafe to play things like, say, Quake 3D or to play LAN games with your friends, I think those days in Europe are pretty much gone, especially with the advent of sort of che- access to cheap computing and then the proliferation of broadband across Europe. And yeah, I think those days for in, in our markets and in the US markets are pretty much done. But I think out in Asia, it's still pretty much a case of, you know, if you want to go and do your gaming, you do it by the hour and you do it in internet cafes. And it, they've they've kind of sort of got little uh, real world meet online world communities that are in the gaming uh, yeah. For various properties, whether it's StarCraft 2, whether it's Diablo, whether it's World of Warcraft, whether it's Rift, whether it's Guild Wars 2, or any of these other kind of games, they build these sort of real-world communities that are based on like a bunch of dudes who turn up in their internet cafe to go and, and game, and they group together outside game and inside game. I think, uh, I think they, I, I'm not sure where the losses in this have actually come from. I actually expected them to say that uh, the 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 details missed that the losses from this were actually going to be from the western side of things of the game that maybe people haven't been as receptive to the extremely Asian feel to it and especially because I do feel that some parts of storyline are a bit of a turnoff for people um, like especially when you're talking about playing through areas like Dread Waste where it's very dark and it's a lot darker than we're sort of used to. Uh, I mean, I know that like Metzen did give everyone the warning, like you know, World Warcraft is going to a dark place in this expansion. It's not going to be all furry pandas and beer and happy times. It's going to a dark place, and the Dread Waste definitely takes that in. But I always mm. thought that the losses for this would be from there. But coming from uh, the part of the world where this game should totally be at home, total shock to me. Now, actually, I think um, it's a it's a different attitude. Um, they, I think, Asian gamers are more about crimes a lot more. Oh yes. So World of Warcraft currently hasn't a lot of crimes, so you you can't just grind mobs and do stuff. You you have. It's more like organized, so you have your daily quest one uh, to twenty-five or something. You do your looking for raid, you do your scenario, you do your arena game. So it's not like you can grind this group of mobs for eternity and just farm goods and sell it off. It's not like the game is actually working, and I think this is one of the things that are really popular in Asia. Where I can just go on forever and do a really repetitive thing. I have no idea why they like it. No explanation at all. Because for me, that kind of gaming content is horrible. I kind of I lose fun in doing a raid more than three times. I lose concentration, and I hate it. I hate repetitions. And but they seem to love it. I don't know why. Maybe it's some kind of a meditative state you get into if you do something over and over again. But for me, I don't know. I'm getting yeah. so bored. Yeah, no, I think it's. Uh, I think you probably hit the nail on the head. I think it's a very it, the 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 tendency towards grindy games. I think it's very culturally linked. Um, uh, look, the only way we're going to know where, where how this is going to pan out is when it comes to five point two, how that's received. And then sort of the next uh, quarterly earnings call, which would be to for 
uh, the whole of Q1, and then we can actually see how things have shaken out, especially because we think that some of the losses may or may not have come as a direct result of the um, the annual passes fading through, but we'll see how that plays out. So, moving on. Valor points. Yet again, good people at Blizzard doing a backtrack. Just when we thought that Valor points were going to get a reset, it turns out they are not going to get a reset in the conversion to honor because they felt it was too big a penalty, especially given the dependency of going into the 5.2 raids that you'd have to go into the 5.0 ones. Is anyone surprised that they actually backtracked on this? Ooh. Hard to say. Um... What's your opinion? I mean, when I was thinking about this initially, like I have generally been one of these people. When they every time we roll through a new uh, tier of rating PVE content, I'm saying a new tier of rating, a new tier of PVE content, coupled with a new season of PvP. I'm one of these guys who've been like, you know, I am totally okay with things like uh, valor points being converted to justice points and conquest points being converted to honor points, and I'm totally okay with that. Because if you're starting a new tier, you don't want to give someone an instant advantage to be able to get gear and instantly start overcoming the difficulty of things as opposed to the whole point of the MMO genre, which is you overcome things with the aid of things that you obtain as you earn them as you go along. So the reward it justifies the investment in what you do. Now, in one respect, I do understand why they've actually made this change, and I'm totally, uh, you know, I'm totally okay with this keeping valor points in place because when i think about it you can't actually for example go into the heart of fear raid without actually having completed mogashan vaults and you can't go into the terrace of endless fear without actually having completed uh yeah. the other two and also having an eye level a requirement in there as well and when you think about it the eye level requirement for going into the thunder king raid is actually going to be 480 that is actually quite difficult for still a number of players to actually achieve, even though when 5.0 rolls around, the Shadow Pan Assault, when you get in there, you're at neutral. For 12.50, you can pick up a 5.20 neck, and after you kill one boss in there, you'll instantly go to friendly, in which case you'll get access to uh, bracers, a ring, and some trinkets to be able to boost your eye levels up. But still, needing that, like you're still going to need 480 before you can even touch into there. So having this requirement, and I think this is also plays into this part of thing, like how do you make content relevant as you're going through it, especially when you've got players with alts? How do you, as you bring on new content or people decide to come back to the game, how do you get them to reconnect with the game? Because if you think about it, in Wrath of the Lich King, every time they brought in a new tier of content, especially if you think about the Ice Crown Citadel ones, they brought in those uh, additional three dungeons, those five-man dungeons that came in. And you completely bypassed, you didn't do any of the normal heroic modes that were associated with uh, Wrath of, the Wrath of the Lich King content. You just tried to jump as quickly as possible into doing those three to give you all the epics so you could jump into raiding Ice Crown Citadel. Never having set foot in Naxxoramas, never having set foot in Obsidian Sanctum, never yeah. having set foot in Eye of Eternity, never having set foot in Uldur, and it, it is shameful 
in, in one respect. So like one of the greatest raid experiences ever, as short as it was, which is a to- another mistake, but I won't get into that now. Uh, and then you've got the Trial of the Crusader, like, like that horrible sham of a raid tier that we had. Like, never having experienced any of those, you get to jump straight into the end game content. And I think that it, this whole thing of there's so much content that players have never actually played through in their current form when they were actually live because there was always these additional pieces of content that allowed them to skip over it. So it made them instantly irrelevant. I think having this mechanic in there where it forces some kind of relevancy in a current tier, I think is great. I mean, it allows people to give them something to do that's meaningful as opposed to, okay, go grind some dailies and then you run some dungeons and you may or may not be able to get in and do this stuff give them some raids to do we have the lf4 tool now and when you talk about the 5.0 raids getting nerfed and becoming cross realm you're giving them a reason to be relevant and people to get together and play through them and keeping it current and giving people other stuff to do than ways of earning valor other than horrible horrible daily grinds yeah that's true. The crimes are always a bit discouraging. But I think if with the increased drop rate, it's kind of um, eased a bit. Also with um, the gear you can craft for whaler points, I think. Um, how is this actually called? Um, these new pieces you can buy, these blood spirits, for example. So you can gear up a lot faster because people will put it on the auction house. And so... It will be harder to have more than one or maybe two characters geared for raiding or PvP on high level. <clears throat> but I think that's okay. I don't think it should be like in Season 11 or patch, uh, the Dragon Soul patch, where you could easily level up all your chars and get the gear you want and have easy mode heroic bosses like, I think, Morkyok or how he was called... Um, I think it's okay to have some kind of progression, especially for heroics, especially for the harder parts of PvP. Uh, because people want to look back at what they achieved and have some kind of advantage for the time they spent. I think so, it also plays into the fact is, if you think about the mo- the model for how you progress, traditionally in the past we would have had, uh, and I think this was something which was introduced with uh, the Burning Crusade, where you had normal mode dungeons and then you had these heroic hard mode dungeons that gave you a better quality gear and like a mm. pre-raid tier of gear as well. And a pre... Uh, like it, it gave you that kind of gear to allow you to gear up. And we had that in Wrath of the Lich King as well. And we had it through Cataclysm. And if you come into Mr. Pandaria, you have these dungeons that are only available at... Uh, going from say level 85 into 90 and then you have these dungeons that are only available at 90 there is and they're not really heroic modes because there is no two modes of the dungeon they are they only exist in this mode and then after that what tiers do you have do you start introducing additional dungeon tiers in which case you make those dungeon tiers irrelevant or do you make people go through the content that is going to give them gear to allow them to progress without actually having to create focus on uh, content which is eventually going to get overlooked and is not as interesting or as central to the progression of the storyline of the expansion, i.e. five-man dungeons? And Or do you give people the more interesting experiences of, well, we can create scenarios which allow us to tell other side parts to the stories without actually 
being direct, you know, uh, kill, collect, reward uh, type things to being play through the raids and then you move into the next set of raids and like keeping mm-hmm. that stuff in there. I mean, it, it for me, I think it's a much better model. The only thing I would say is get rid of the fucking name heroics because they're not heroic dungeons because there is no normal modes of those dungeons. That's the only thing I would say. Blizzard, get rid of the name heroic. Just call them dungeons. You've changed the model. You don't need that name anymore. I'm being pedantic with that. Yeah, probably. (laughs) But you know what? Speaking of gear upgrades, we're now heading into that area, which is, you know, this is your domain, the P versus P, and the changes that are coming to PvP gear, which we kind of hinted at in the last show, which is uh, that the new 5.2 malevolent gear is going to have a lower eye level, but it's going to be compensated with greater sort of PvP power and resilience stats. And the uh, removal of the uh, elite versions. I think the main problem is that the current tier two sets, um, especially the weapons, are better than the weapons you actually get um, playing the next season. So mm-hmm. you have eye level, I think, four hundred ninety-eight tier two weapons from this season, and the weapons of the next season are, I think, eye level four hundred ninety-three. So you actually have worse weapons in the next season until you get to the 27,000 point cap. And so anyone having played this season has a huge advantage over players that will just level with drinks. Yeah, I think that advantage really only extends to people who have actually managed to upgrade those pieces. I think they're definitely going to have the advantage. So if you're talking about the players who have been in arenas and RBGs, who've actually managed to get the full set of gear for their main spec PvP, like if they're resto PvP and their DPS PvP, um, and they've also managed then to have loads of conquest points left over, where they've actually been able to spend them on upgrading those gears. Yeah. Those guys are totally at an advantage. But your average Joe Soap who's just picked up the Malevolent gear... And they haven't actually managed to upgrade it. The people coming into the season, the only difference that the advantage they're going to have is they're probably going to have maybe 36 PvP power resi over people from the 5.1 uh, season of PvP. or But they're going to have a lower eye level, which is, I think, the... Again, the reason they're keeping the eye level low, as far as I'm aware, is to stop people instantly going in and picking up PvP gear to be able to jump into the... PVE environments for Thunder King is to stop them abusing that system because the eye level is the ult is one of the final checks on that being able to get in so it's people who are maybe borderline picking up a couple of pieces of malevolent gear and then being able to jump in and bypass when they really need picking up more PVE pieces yeah um, I think actually the, the honor pieces are pretty much on par, sometimes better than the eye level 483 pieces from last season. Definitely, I mean, they're itemized better. Yeah, um, they are itemized better, especially with Resilience, because Resilience is the simply best set you can have in PvP. Mm-hmm. It's far better than any other set. And having more of that pretty much makes these yeah some of the pieces a lot better. So, for example, the the trinkets, um, um, the medallions for 
for the Honor is actually better than uh, I think even the upgraded versions of the of the medallions you can have. So it's kind of also strange that I will have to farm Honor to downgrade my trinket from I level 491 to I level 473 just to get some pieces up. Yeah, just to get better stats. It's hmm. kind of strange what they're doing here. So. Yeah, but still, I think it's important to have some catch-up mechanics, and I don't think it's good to um, have tier 2 weapons give such a huge advantage currently. Because exactly. you know a lot of players exploited it with all this win trading going in Abuchi, so this advantage should, shouldn't stay. And yeah, I think we, we need to make some weapons available that are actually better. Because especially you don't have to have the current tier set to um, buy the new one means um, not only do people that have the gear from the current season have an advantage they also need to spend something like 3500 points less over the season because they don't need to buy the basic version of the weapons unlike other people have to do so they have kind of a double advantage going in the season Totally. I mean, this comes into the other figure. The other thing with PvP gear that I've I have an annoyance with is, um, and the introduction when it was introduced, I didn't like it, and I still don't even like it now. And in five point two, I'm going to like it even less. In five point two, the dreadful gladiator gear that we would normally buy with honor right now is actually going to be available as crafted PvP gear, uh, replacing the contenders' gears, the starting PvP gear in five point and I don't like this because, in one respect, if you want to be able to start into your PvE stuff in any meaningful way, as a PvE player, Mr. Pandaria, mm -hmm. there are several vendors that you can go to, and then you can actually buy your starting gear with some gold, as opposed to relying on crafters to get you your starting gear. And I don't, I don't like that idea. I don't like the idea of that your starting gear to be able to get in there is dependent on crafting which is not specifically or nor is it in any way really linked to the pvp experience i think that's a real cop-out that the pvp experience is depending on something which technically comes from pve if you want to be totally uh, technical about it i mean the only way you get the materials to be able to craft you don't get the materials from your pvp engagements you're getting them from your engagement with the playing environment which is pve so I think that's I always found to find that really icky and horrible and like so I totally get where you're coming with that. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Why do you think this? There's such a huge um, crossover between that. Um, why do you think you you actually have to PVE to PVP? I don't know. I think this comes back to. Um, I think this harks all the way back to the days. I don't think it's something I think they've tried to escape with the introduction of things like resilience and specific PvP gear and then the introduction of stats like PvP power and PvP resilience. When the people who actually had the best gear for PvP were the people who were actually at the the sharp end of raiding. They'd have like their raid tier sets when we didn't have like this is like pre season one. Um when you had PvE gear, like you if the better the gear you had, the uh the more you wanted things. And I think you, that was very clear definitely in season one of PvP. 
uh, arena. Very, very clear with the crafted gear as well. Especially if you're thinking about sort of the robes and the shoulder sets that were made by tailors. You know, Spellfire mm-hmm. and those ones. If you think about even those sets and their use in PvP in, in Season 1. Uh, season 2, like, they were they were quite good to be used. And it was good to have, like, a very healthy mix of, like, your season gear along with uh, some very, very strong PvE pieces. And I think it's been a feature of an awful lot of seasons where... Uh, it, one or two key slots where you've had uh, PVE pieces in place that they have been like your best in slot for PvP performance and noticeably with Hunters and Trinkets or uh, Death Knights with uh, some of the Trinkets as well. And especially the weapons, if you think about even the weapon side of things, the legendary weapons in yeah, but, PvP. But, but it changed, didn't it? I mean, it changed with... Um with MOP, there's simply no reason to do PvP for PvE anymore. Uh, other way around to do PvE in order to get an advantage in PvP anymore. Definitely. Um, I, I, I've definitely noticed this and I've been very, very keenly aware of this on my own uh, playstyle, especially through my Paladin in PvP, where I've noticed that just no matter how good my PvE gear has been, in slots where I didn't have particularly good PvP uh, items, like say for rings, for example, or in the weapon department, or where I didn't ha- where where I was actually using uh, PvE raid epics in place of the contenders mm. gear in some cases. That as I got gear that was specifically for PvP, I found my quality of life in PvP was an awful lot better. And in some cases, taking the lower eye level item, like running around in dreadful gladiator gear. Like full dreadful gladiator gear, apart from the weapon, obviously, and the t- and my rings is actually better than a mix of some dreadful with some contenders and some high end like uh, let's say high end like raid finder or normal mode PVE gear. Like having a full set of those blues almost has actually been better for me. It's actually given me a better quality of life, a better level of performance in terms of like survivability and then being able to to contribute in the way that I want to contribute during a PvE game, especially in just uh, random battlegrounds. You still like... You You are one of the players that actually really like random battlegrounds, aren't you? Yeah, I'm actually a huge fan of them. I'm, uh, it's it's something that's never gone away from From the first time they introduced them in World of Warcraft, and I am an ex-world PvP player, um, who, when b- random battlegrounds came out, it was like, boo, you're trying to organize fun. Fun can never be organized. How dare you? And then I look, totally fell in love with Alterac Valley, and I totally fell in love with uh, Warsong Gulch and Arathi Basin. So I've actually become uh, quite fond of my, uh, my random battlegrounds. I still don't like uh, Raider Battlegrounds, and I'm still not particularly fond of her. In fact, you know what? I'm not fond of her at all anymore wildly unpopular statement I just made there. Why don't you like Red Battlegrounds? Again, it's this idea of organized fun where you pick the best people to go in there as opposed to bringing a whole group of people together and seeing what happens. I think it's the more it's the rand it's the random nature of random battlegrounds that actually uh does it for me where you could you don't know who you're getting in your in your group anymore because they remove like the preform enablers that you had where you could basically have entire teams. So I think it's actually a lot more fun now. They've removed that, even though you still see groups of five and five in in there that's happening. Uh, at least it's not going in there and finding you have a whole team of like about 20 people who are from one guild who go in there and just ruffle stomp you into the ground for like 10 minutes. 
if that. Yeah. I think it's the randomness of it. It reminds me of world PvP, where you never quite knew it was going to happen, and other people would come in, and it would just add a whole different dynamic into the mix. I think it's it harks back to, to my initial involvement and initial love of that. I mean, my desire for that to reoccur. Um, yeah. But like Cross Realms, I thought, I'd definitely see that a lot more, where there's more world PvP, and that totally just, I love that. Yeah, World PvP is, is kind of fun, but it's always about ganking, basically. So it's it's never a fair or a balanced fight. No one ever said war was fair. No one ever said fighting was fair. <laughs> I, I, that's, I'm sorry, I always, that's always my response to people. Who are like, oh, but all it is is ganking. It's like, well, it's not meant to be fair. Fighting is never fair. Sometimes fighting is horrible and dirty and grossly unfair. I know that's really terrible when you see a little level 30 running around and a level 90 is just like, oop, one shot, oop, one shot, oop, one shot. Um, it, it is what it is. Like it's, it, it, The World of Warcraft has always had an element of this and it's it's always been there. I suppose we've just for so long had no PvP action really out in the worlds that all of a sudden we have it being thrown up in our faces regularly that it's a bit of a shock to us because we haven't uh, some people have never experienced this or some people haven't experienced it in quite some time especially since like uh, you're talking about the Isle of Keldanus was maybe the last time some players had actually experienced anything like that yeah maybe (laughs) I don't know I actually I had a lot of open PvP just while leveling. Yeah, I've actually enjoyed that actually. The especially through like the Jade Forest and the rest of it, I've really enjoyed that. That's uh, or through uh, the the Valley of the Four Winds, or when you're going up into uh, Kurnai Summon. Oh, that's I I I've enjoyed seeing world PvP out there. Even like the other day, I was actually chuckling to myself and. I was on my paladin and I was out and about in the world and I think I was doing one of my dailies uh, up near... Where was it? Actually, it was in the Valley of the Four Winds where I was doing my dailies and I was just minding my own business. A shadow priest comes along, manages to take about 40% of my health while I'm in my PvE gear uh, and I engage him in some world PvP and he dies and I live and decided to teabag his corpse for a little bit just because I could because he just thought it was a good idea to gank me and then he didn't come off very well from it I got great satisfaction from that actually I just got a link Um, Brain Deadly actually painted me Um, I don't know if you saw it on, um, but I would just send you the link over Skype because it's hilarious um it's um he did a YouTube video about it and this is the final image. <laughs> it's incredible, isn't it? <laughs> you know what? We should definitely stick that on the uh on the blog when we go to post this. Definitely, definitely we, we, should, we should take that as final image. <laughs> yeah, I totally dig that. So more changes and moving on. Cross realm raids are gonna happen in five point two. With the 5.0 raids actually becoming cross-realm, I don't think anyone is surprised by this. This was something which I think was going to happen. I mean, this is uh, kind of the purpose of 
having cross-realm technology into place to be able to provide more ways for this stuff and this content to remain relevant and to people to be able to play through it. Yeah, I think it's a really good decision, really good one, and um, I definitely approve. You know what I would approve? I would approve if the next announcement for cross-realm was cross-realm arena teams. Yeah, definitely. Even though I totally don't like arena, but it would be it would be great because there's guys who I wouldn't you like arena? You're playing a rogue. I know, but you know what happens when I play my rogue. I don't play my rogue to win games. I play my rogue to be an asshole. But why would you want to be an asshole? Because it's fun with a rogue. A rogue is designed. It should be. It shouldn't be called. Like actually, actually, today, Vicious and me created a kind of a swifty macro for rogues. So it's like a cast sequence that pulls up like 10 skills after each other and you're doing this perfect chain of um, all skills combined so you're doing the maximum damage and you just spam one button like 10 times in a row and I totally want to see that yeah I can I can definitely link it to you it's more for testing for us because um, if we want to test some chains um, for our rogue guide we need to compare the chains and if you have a pretty complex sequence, you can fuck it up sometimes. So it's better for testing to write a macro that will do it perfect than to actually play it out and hope it gets perfect and you don't uh, do anything wrong about it. And over the point of yeah, what we were doing it, um, we just realized how fun it was to, to create these crazy macro chains. And so we just went for it. And uh, yeah, you can you can see it actually in my Facebook Um See that? See that, kids? Always remember one thing. Real friends don't let friends macro irresponsibly. See? Oh, come on, come on. We do. We always macro irresponsibly. So we... <laughs> <laughs> it's like crazy what things you can do. Um, so... <laughs> uh, it's so much to... fun to do it. It's so much fun. You know what? I think definitely, I think one time we should actually sit down and we should probably do an episode talking about macros. Because I think that's another thing. If you think about it, macros is like this mysterious world to an awful lot of players that are out there. And when players actually go up onto sites, especially if they're new players who are coming into us, and let's face it, arena and that kind of competitive PvP is very, very macro dominated and orientated uh, compared to PvE. When they come into this environment and they go up onto somewhere like, say, Arena Junkies or some of the macros that turn up on Elitist Jerks, I mean, for some players, it's like, back, 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 unsee, unsee, that has just hurt my brain. Why is my brain bleeding out my nose? I should not have seen that. Because they just are totally overwhelmed by not understanding that. It's like if people who see computer code for the first time and they're like, what the <laughs> fuck is this? I think we should definitely do like a, a a mini show demystifying macros for people. Yeah, we actually I'm I'm doing a video series about it, but um, I'm still collecting materials, and it's uh, I'm still trying to get better. And oh, it's it's crazy. If you have completely new bands, it takes time to learn them, and uh, it really takes time. You know, we're definitely gonna I, have to plug the hell out of that series once you get that up and running. I did some um, reading while I was on a business trip um, the last days, and 
Do you know who Michael Phelps is? Um, he's a pretty well-known swimmer. Oh, yeah. He's a swimmer who like won all the gold medals and then yeah. decided, I'm going to smoke some joints. And then he was like, oh, I'm sorry, I smoked some joints and then served his time. And, and now he's like, uh, he's like a big celebrity. Yeah. He, um, he had this technique called imaginationing. Um, means you imagine how things will will work out, how things will exactly go in your head before something happens. So means if you're doing the competition, you know exactly what will happen, what you will do in what second, how the water will smell, what what your arm is doing, what your foot is doing, you know it. Nothing will surprise you. Oh, this is a very um, common technique an awful lot of professional athletes use. Exactly. Sprinters, actually, sprinters actually do this. Sprinters have actually already run their race in their head. Uh, and long-distance runners have got the race in their head and they're following this sort of pre-programmed uh, routine for how they're actually going to proceed through that in, from their head. And you oft also see it from things like um, bobsleigh teams where you've got the drivers the drivers already know the course in their head and you'll see them running through it in their mind where they'll be imagining the turns they'll need to make at each time, how long it takes between them. Uh, it's a very, very common technique for a lot of professional athletes, especially in the athletic side of things. Definitely. And did you know that he actually, on one of his world records in 2008, he lost sight because his classes um, ran full of water and then he swam better than he ever did before. So you could kind of say that it was beneficial to him that an accident happened because he had to rely on what he had imagined before, what he remembered on his reflexes, instead of using his actual vision. Some of the best stuff has resulted from accidents. I think everyone would freely acknowledge that. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> And finally, for this show, we're going to talk about the one thing which I think has got an awful lot of crafters in World of Warcraft possibly getting very, very nervous. They are talking about making Blood Spirits available for approximately 400 Valor Points. A lot of people who craft 496 pieces are shitting themselves as they that got announced. Why? The reason being is if you actually go up onto an auction house right now, four seven in like in my realm for Defiance Brotherhood EU, and I've definitely noticed this on Twisting Nether EU as well, um, and I think I've spotted this on one of the other EU realms that I was farting around on during the week. Four seven six uh, crafted epic gear for PVE was still selling for a cup like between four thousand and seven thousand gold on the auction house and the four ninety six gear was still selling for in the region of like fifteen even as far as thirty five forty thousand gold and this was because you know blood spirits are still actually quite rare even when I'm looking in the auction house for them mm. still quite rare and then you've got things like the spirits of harmony for example they're also uh quite again they're only bind on pickups so you can't even trade those um, and I think we sort of when you're talking about that, the spirits of harmony—they're never going to put them into play for honor or otherwise. I can't see them doing it anyway. It doesn't—it seems a mute point. The blood spirits coming in means the 496 crafted gear instantly. People can actually turn up with, okay, here's my blood spirits, 
and here's my uh, the materials for it. Please make me my piece. As opposed to where crafters are holding all the cards, getting the blood spirits uh, from raids that they've attended. They're no longer... It, they become like a vendor item as opposed to something you only earn from raids. Mm, yeah, kind of. But I think it's good to catch up. It's actually... Uh... The only serious PvE is heroic PvE. Let's be... It's it's just like that. And it, it's lower true. item level. I think even lower item level than the current heroic items, isn't it? Uh, yes, that's true. So it doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. It's not relevant to anyone serious about PvE. Mm. So it's good for catching up. So why would people complain? Because gold... Pe people who are very heavy in the... Uh, the economy, especially if you look on the on, on my realm, I've been keeping track of this for the last couple of weeks through uh, Undermine Journal and also just by going up onto the auction house every single day. It is always the same people selling uh, the same amount of gear. There's no new entrance into the market. And because they have the market pretty much cornered, they can charge what they like for an awful lot of these pieces. And uh, when new entrants come into a market in... Uh, especially in the world of Warcraft economy, you see prices start to go down very, very quickly. Uh, and these guys often complain that, oh, the, the in-game economy is being imbalanced because Blizzard may take arbitrary decisions, as opposed to taking the understanding that, you know, this is the point of markets. Markets evolve, and sometimes products get moved for, down in the value chain in markets. They come go from being premium products to being everyday products to being bargain products that some things never oh, never retain their high values that they once did, and they don't understand that uh, because all they can see is hitting that giant gold cap. Yeah, true. That's true. So I think that from that side of things, that's why you always get the QQ, and it's a... Uh, if if you remember correctly, when they actually changed the uh, in Wrath of the Lich King, there was those little oh, what were they called? The frost orbs when they made them available from vendors, or in Cataclysm, those um, uh, orbs that actually dropped from bosses only that were bind on mm -hmm. pickup. When they made them uh, tradable. The crafting communities and guys who were heavy into the auction houses went absolutely batshit insane. Because they were like, you were totally screwing with our economy. This was great. But on the other side, you had people were like, look, there are guys who are in the economies that have got these markets cornered and they are gouging us. And it's impossible for us to get our hands on these. Can you fix it? And Blizzard, in, the, in their wisdom, when they rightly did so, decided, you know what? There's two... There's two there is a small group of people who have got such a massive stranglehold on in-game economies that, you know, certain things have got to be changed and broken at times because the economies are not adapting to the progression. I mean, like, for example, we are coming to 5.2, which yeah. is due in the next couple of weeks. 5.0 launch content epics. In other words, like, you know, the... Uh, the Dark Moon cards, they are still, on some realms, wildly expensive. 476 crafted epics are still six and 7,000 uh, gold on auction houses. That is utterly insane, if you think about it. It is crazy that that is still the case. And we're coming into 5.2. 476, as 5.2 rolls around, should be utterly irrelevant. 
yeah, maybe, maybe. But it's always something to do for some people. You you open up new possibilities. True. Uh, there are some people who do play this game purely for the auction house. I actually know a guy who stopped yeah. playing PvE and PvP and all he did for about a year and a half or two years was just live on the auction house every day. And that dude hit gold cap on multiple tunes, so I remember. Crazy. Like, the dude actually used to max out on the amount of auctions you could actually place. He even got to the stage where he had, like, second accounts for this. Yeah, I, I also know someone, but it's it's cool. I mean, you can play WoW as a economy simulation. True. But no, that's the one thing we're missing for this kind of thing is if you look at Eve Online, for example, for they have a dedicated economist. They actually took a guy in who was an economist with one of the major banks around the world, or or an economic advisor to uh, to some global organizations. And this guy is his full time job with. Uh, CCP is actually now as a dedicated in-game economist for EVE Online and once every quarter he actually releases this statement to the entire player base and on the EVE Online website and CCP website giving like a, an economic update in the same way that a head of a government or a head or for example a minister of finance in a country would actually do on an annual basis or on a quarterly basis um and it, it, so, like World of Warcraft, I think definitely at this stage kind of needs one of those, or they need the blues to talk about the in-game economies a bit more in terms of what they're doing to rectify them. Because I still think there's an, despite all the gold sinks they've managed to put in in this expansion to try and ease that out, I think there's more probably needed to be done. But what would be a good gold sink? Do you have an idea? That's uh, the twenty thousand or two hundred thousand gold question, really, my friend. Like, what is a good gold sink? We thought sticking in that uh, that giant yak mount from up in Curlie uh, Summit was going to be the gold sink. We thought putting in things like the jade tiger the, mount from Jill Crafters yeah. was going to be, you know, where you've got to make yeah. all four of them and combine them like Voltron. That that was going to be the ultimate gold sink. And it turns out that's actually like a very poor return on investment. Especially if you think of what those orbs actually cost to put the whole thing together. Like it's just, what's the point of that? Like they don't seem to sell very very much above what the mats actually cost as a whole. It's a kind of become the uh, mechano hog in one respect. Where it, uh, it barely makes you any profit on a, an individual basis. So, what do you do at that point? It's it's very difficult. You put in more vanity items. In man, it needs to be vanity. You you can't have it on par with anything. Uh, no, exactly. I think introducing power items into the game is bad. Vanity. It needs to be vanity, but it could be cool vanity, like um, utility stuff, like I don't know, lower cooldown on your house zone, but it's already fifteen minutes, so it's not like anyone would need another reduction. Or what about the guild one? If you think about, for example, if you were in the guild and you get to level twenty-five and you progress through things like you know the capes, the shroud of coordination, mm -hmm. for example. If you go and get the epic level version after you get the, I think it's the Guild Mastercrafter achievement, mm. that cape alone is 450 gold. Like, I mean, if you think about it, that's actually quite expensive. For yeah, what but it I mean, is. 450 gold, it's something like, it's not really a lot, do you think? Oh, no, no, but just for what it is, it, like, it's a, it is technically a Hearthstone two Stormwind or two Orgrimmar that has a two hour time on it and you pay 450 gold for it. It's kind of, a, in terms of what it is for what you pay, 
it is extremely expensive when you think about it. When your Hearthstone at a level 25 guild is 15 minutes. And you can pretty much get to your central cities very, very quickly now if you place your Hearthstone in just the right place. Yeah, true. Especially if you're an an engineer or even before if you're a mage, um, it's very fast. Vicious and me, we are Pauls and working on the rogue guide. We, <laughs> he was kind of annoying me today, and so I used the portal and um, as engineer, and so he also has his engineer portals. And so we are kind of uh, moving all over the globe to to just. Um, I try to not follow him, so I first portal to to North Rand, to the Holding Fjord, and he was there five seconds later. So. I ported to, to Toshley Station and he was just in the nether storm of his goblin portal and then I finally ported to Gadgetzan and he didn't have the portal there. <laughs> so he had to go back and uh, after he did that, I, um, what if we go, we, we, we did one more hoop at that point and uh, then I could use the Hearthstone and he couldn't use it because he didn't have a guild on V-turn so he didn't have the reduction and so it was pretty funny. I've, <laughs> I like this portal stuff. Um, yeah, I miss those days as an engineer. Yeah, maybe, I don't know, maybe hire something like your personal healer for Battlegrounds or something for golds or for random Battlegrounds. I know it would make, no, that would make a lot of people angry. Want maybe, to buy yeah. pocket healer. I can just see it now, actually. It, actually, you could do it in trade chat. Want to buy pocket healer for rated battlegrounds for a season. For, for, for rated battlegrounds, it will be quite hard. But for random battlegrounds, uh, you shouldn't have a problem if you pay enough money. <laughs> um, if you pay gold, um, you can hire me. Uh, if you're an alliance, I have a monk that really has max gear, tier 2. And if you manage to pay me something like some thousand golds, you will definitely have me around for random battle. So, anyone is interested, I can also link my PayPal account. Uh. <laughs> you know what? That sounds like a really good note to end the show because you're getting your plug in <laughs> on that. You know what? If you want to follow us on the Twitters, you can hit us up at Level90Rogue. And if you're on the iTunes and you want to rate us and review us, please do. All ratings and reviews greatly received. If you want to follow me on the Twitter, it is at the Ian Fella or my other show at a Paladin's Tale. And if you want to follow Tobias on the Twitter, where can they find you? It's actually at wow underscore Wilde Hilde. But it's best if you look at just at Ian's Twitter. He will probably link it. And he will also link the image brain deadly and true of me. And so, I'm also going to link to your breakfast series. Okay, yeah. On that note, and on that bombshell. <laughs> Tune in next time, Fleshy. Same gang time, same gang channel. L90URP out.